good to see you guys this morning. If you're a guest, my name is Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church, and we are honored that you are with us. So whether you're here in person or you listen to us online, we're so thankful that we get to be a part of your life. And if we can help you in any way, please reach out and let us know. I don't know about you, but um, I often think about those elementary school days. I did not like P.E. I hated dressing out. I didn't like organized sports, basically. And I know that shocks you looking at me. You would think I was so athletic. But I really wasn't. I just was not an athletic kid. And so I didn't like P.E. whenever they would make you play these organized sports. I didn't like baseball. I didn't like basketball. I certainly didn't like kickball. I distinctly remember Lake Park Elementary School in Lake Park, Georgia. It was recess. There I am standing under the scorching South Georgia sun in my baggy shorts and T-shirt. And the coach said, we're going to play kickball. So he chose two captains, and then the rest of us had to line up and wait for our name to be called by one of those two captains. And I knew good and well I would not be a first-round draft pick. I knew. (laughs) And so, you know, as you go through each round and you don't hear your name called and you get passed over each time, if you are insecure, you start having those talks. You start thinking to yourself, No one wants you on their team. They know you're no good at this. And if they do choose you, it's going to be because you're the last and they had to. And so that's what you start hearing in your mind. And, you know, often that can become very discouraging if you're sitting there thinking, I'm being passed over. Uh, I'm not good at this. There's nothing that I can contribute that's going to be helpful. Do you remember anything like that? Maybe for you, those memories of being passed over are more recent. Maybe they're from adulthood. Maybe it was being passed over for a job. You you brushed up and polished that resume. You submitted the application. You sat down for the interview, and then you waited. You thought everything went well, but then eventually, if you hear anything back, you hear, well, you know, we had a lot of qualified candidates apply for this job, but unfortunately, we have selected one of those rather than you. And your mind starts racing. I knew it. There's nothing I have to offer. Maybe you were passed over for a recess kickball, or maybe you were passed over for a job promotion, or maybe you were passed over for a marriage proposal. Maybe you were passed over because of your skin color. Maybe someone passed over you and looked looked down on you and counted you out because of your gender. Maybe someone heard your accent and passed you over. Maybe someone passed you over because of your age. Maybe someone passed you over because of your past, your prison record, or your mistakes that you've made. Maybe someone passed you over because you're from a different country than this one. And if we're not careful, it can beat us down where we feel that we have nothing to contribute and that we don't have anything of value in our lives. And here's the real danger. When we start talking to ourselves like that, or we listen to the opinions of other people, we can sometimes get the mistaken notion that even God himself feels that same way. That God passes us over. If God wants to find someone to use them, to bless them, and through them to bless others, if God's looking for someone to make a difference in their life and to give them purpose and meaning, he's going to find someone else. Not going to find me. Look at me. Not going to choose me. And if I believe God loves me, I believe it's because he has to love me, not because he chose to. He just has to. It's God. That's what he has to do. But even if he had a choice, he wouldn't love me. And dear friend, if that's how you feel this morning, 
then you're in the good, right place. Because I want you to hear some good news. God has chosen you in his grace. God does love you. And God does have a purpose for your life. And God does what he does in our lives, not really because of who we are, but because of who he is. That he is an awesome God who can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things through them. And today we're going to start a series on the life of David from the Old Testament. How that God took an ordinary shepherd boy named David and made him the king of the great nation of Israel. And through David, God would eventually send a descendant who would save the world. His name was Jesus. All through a lowly shepherd boy that everyone else in his life overlooked him. Passed him over for promotions. Didn't see anything good in his life. Everyone else in his life never believed that anything good could come through David's life. And yet God had a different plan. Rather than passing over David, God chose to use David. Now, to set the stage for what we're going to do today, we're going to take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16 in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Some of you were waiting for me to drop that, weren't you? That's why I didn't throw it very high. Um, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 13 as we think today about the kind of person God chooses to use. And to set the stage, you need to remember that ancient Israel were a people formed by God himself when he chose someone named Abram to be his own. And through Abram, who eventually was named Abraham, God gave him descendants and God formed the Jewish people. And in the ancient days of Israel, they were a theocracy. That meant they were not directly ruled by a man or men. They were ruled by God himself. Now, God had judges that he would raise up among the people who would uh, decide important issues and who would execute justice. And God raised up prophets who were spokesmen for God. That's how God led his people. But Israel was a theocracy. And the problem came whenever Israel stopped following God and started getting into idolatry and worshiping other gods and getting into sin and all kinds of immorality, that whenever they strayed from God, God allowed them to be chastened by the other nations around them or by even nature itself through famines and through drought. Usually they would repent and come back to God. But eventually they became so evil that the Bible says in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They were just a mess. And because they were such a mess, they were a mess politically and financially and economically and militarily, that they started clamoring for a king. They looked around them at the other nations and they said, all the cool kids have kings. We want a king. We don't want to be led by God directly. We want a man to lead us. And it wasn't that their desire for a king was so wrong. It was the reason they wanted a king. They did not want a king so they could repent of their sin and rededicate themselves to following God. They wanted a king so they could be like the rest of the world. And so they start clamoring for a king. And God says, you know what? I'll give you what you want. You don't want me? Fine. By the way, that's sometimes some of God's greatest chastisement. He gives us what we want. And then we realize, ooh, that wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. That didn't turn out so good. And so they start looking 
for a king. And here's a question. What does God look for when God looks for someone to use? What does God look for when God looks for someone to use? I can tell you what God looks for is different than what people look for. You see, the ancient people of Israel, they were looking for a king who looked the part. And so eventually, they, they called a king to be Saul. In fact, uh, there, there are three people I want to introduce to you today before we read the text. The first would be a man named Samuel. Samuel was a prophet of God. Samuel was godly. Samuel was dedicated to following God and speaking to the people on behalf of God. And he implored the people, don't go seeking a king. Keep following God. But the people didn't want to hear Samuel. So God eventually told Samuel, listen, they've rejected me. That's fine. Give them what they want. Go find a guy named Saul, son of Kish. Make him the king. That's the kind of king they want. Let's give them what they want. Saul was the first king of Israel. He became king in around 1051 BC. And I love how the scriptures describe Saul in one of the verses in 1 Samuel 9, it says that Saul was a head taller than everyone else in Israel and was more handsome than everyone else in Israel. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a guy that looked the part. They didn't think about his character. They didn't think about his heart. They didn't think about his integrity. They didn't think about, is he really dedicated to God? They just wanted a guy that was handsome, that was strong, that looked the part of a king. And he was handsome on the outside, but he, he was weak on the inside. When the day came for Saul to be anointed as the king of Israel, no one could find him. They go, where is he? They eventually found him hiding among some luggage. He was strong on the outside, but weak on the inside. Now, eventually, he is king, and then he does some things well, and God blesses him, but then he strays from God. Power goes to his head. He becomes infatuated with being in control. And rather than following God, he takes matters into his own hands and he does what he thinks is right, regardless of what God has said. And he also becomes insanely jealous, as we're going to see. Anybody else in the kingdom that became popular, he hated them and would even try to kill them, including the next guy I want to introduce you to, and his name is David. That's who we're going to read about today, who became the second king of Israel. And you know what I know about David? is that the same God of David's life who took a nobody and made a somebody out of him is the same God of your life who loves you and who wants to use you. So keep this question in the back of your mind as we walk through these verses together. What does God look for when God looks for someone to use? 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today rather than my usual English Standard Version. But 1 Samuel 16 verse 1 now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Now what's going on here is because Saul had rejected God, God also rejected Saul. And by this point, Saul and Samuel have known each other and worked together for about 20 years. It was Samuel who was there to anoint him as king. It was Samuel who was there as the prophet of God to help this king to know from God and to follow God. And because Saul has gotten himself rejected by God, it has broken the prophet's heart. 
He's heartbroken over Saul. He's heartbroken over what this means for the nation. He's heartbroken. And God says, the morning time is over. I've got a job for you to do. Get that anointing oil. Go find a guy named Jesse because one of his sons will be the next king. Look at verse 2. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Samuel says, "Uh, God, far be it for me to tell you how to do your job. But you do know that Saul is still the king right now on the throne of Israel. And if he gets word that I'm out traipsing the countryside looking for who I can anoint to be the next king, he's going to consider me a traitor. He's going to condemn me for treason. He is going to cut my head off. How in the world am I going to go and find the next king of Israel and still keep my head? And so God answers him, take a heifer with you, the Lord replied. Now, now that's a young female cow that's never had a calf. I have to explain that because where I'm from in South Georgia, that could mean a couple of things. But But God said, take a heifer with you and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. So if anybody asks you, what are you doing? Say, I'm here for a worship service, which was true. I'm here to obey God. I'm here to serve God. I'm here to sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord's about to do something. You just tell them what you're doing. Verse 3, God says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So God says, invite Jesse, invite all of his sons, and I will show you which one to anoint. Verse 4, so Samuel did as the Lord instructed. By the way, that's a sermon in itself. Right there, just do what the Lord tells you to do and life will be so much better. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? I love this picture. The people are freaking out when the prophet Samuel, who is the second most powerful man in Israel, shows up in their little village. It's the first time on the pages of Scripture that the little village of Bethlehem is mentioned. This little, obscure, out-of-the-way place will eventually become a pivotal place in human history, Bethlehem. But the people are freaking out because when a prophet typically showed up in your town, he was not there with good news. He was there to pronounce judgment. God has seen your wickedness. God knows what you've done wrong. And if you don't repent, God's going to chasten you. And so the people are going, did you do something? Did you? What did we do? We have a, I have a friend who worships here quite often. And uh, he's a JSO officer. He's about six foot five. He's also a bodybuilder. He is a big guy. And he came to see me one day, and I saw him out my window as he was walking down the sidewalk. He in full uniform, got his weapon on his side, and he comes into the office, and they buzz me and sheepishly say, uh, Pastor Ricky, there's a police officer who's asking for you. And so I walk down the hall, and they go, what did you do? <laughs> I didn't do anything. It's my friend, thank you. He's not here to arrest me. This is my friend, Trey. And, uh, and I think it's how the people felt. What has happened? Have we done something wrong? Do you come in peace? And here is how Samuel responds. Verse 5, yes. So he's saying, yes, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. So who gets invited to this 
holy worship service. Jesse and his sons. The prophet is expecting all the boys to be there. Verse 6. When they arrived, the sons, Samuel took one look at Eliab. That's the oldest son of Jesse. Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. The prophet took one look at the oldest son who was good looking and said, This guy looks like the king. He must be the one. He must be the one. He made a snap judgment based on outward appearances. And yet he's about to discover he was wrong. Have you ever made a snap judgment about someone? You ever formed a first impression? Maybe it was a good first impression, but you found out later you were wrong. They were not so good. Or did you have a bad first impression of someone, and then later they became your best friend or your trusted co-worker? Samuel has made a snap judgment just on appearances. And verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Dear friend, I don't know if you mark your Bibles or highlight or underline things in your Bible, but if you do, that's a verse you ought to highlight. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That is a key principle of how God operates. That God's not looking at just appearances. God looks beyond the exterior into the interior of a person. He looks through what's on the outside to what is on the inside of a person. Because that is what matters to God. What matters to God is not your height, your hair, not your education, not your pedigree, not your bank account balance. What matters to God is your heart. And that's what God is looking for. So God rejects Eliab, the oldest son of Jesse. Look at verse 8. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. It's like a beauty contest. You know, these guys, these are just, they're walking, you know, just modeling for Samuel. I don't know if there's a swimsuit competition. Lord, I hope not. But, but one after the other, the boys of, of Jesse are being paraded before Samuel. And it says, but Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 9, then Jesse summoned Shemiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 10, in the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel's confused now. God is the one who sent me to Jesse. God is the one who said that among Jesse's sons would be the next king that I am to anoint. And yet I've seen these boys, and God has rejected one after the other. What is going on here? The problem is they were being judged by appearances only. Samuel, along with Jesse, are going, surely this one? I mean, look at him. Surely, No? Well, then, then the next one, look at him. No, the next one, look at him. They're only looking at appearances. Nowhere do they stop and say, dear God, would you show us the kind of person you want to use, the kind of person you will bless, and the kind of person who will be a blessing to others. And sadly, that is how our culture works. 
We see it on every level of, of American society. When we look for a, a president, we can say that we're interested in their policies and their experience, but let's just be honest. A lot of it boils down to, do they look presidential? Do they sound presidential? Presidential campaigns are often just beauty contests where we spend billions of dollars trying to make one person look as good as we can and make all the others look as bad as they can. And I grieve for the little girls in our culture who also get on social media and they're just blasted with standards of what the world says is beautiful and the world says is powerful and the world says is popular and they struggle with their self-esteem to live up to the opinions of everybody else. And I grieve for little boys who don't know what real masculinity is anymore because they're so bombarded with these ideals and these images of what it means to be a man. And people struggle to live up to those standards that are basically all about appearances. And adults were no better. We don't put our bad days... And our garbage, and our dirty clothes in the laundry, and our messed up beds, and our messed up hair on Facebook. We don't put it on Instagram. We certainly don't post it on Pinterest. No, we put out everything that makes us look as good as possible. Because we try to live up to appearances. When the reality is, we're more worried about what other people are going to think of us. And we don't spend as much time maybe thinking about what God thinks of us. And what's on the inside of us. Verse 11, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. What a sad statement. Still the youngest. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. So Jesse passed over his youngest son, David, because he didn't see anything in him that would merit him being the king. He didn't see any potential in him. And maybe Jesse, if he were here today, would defend himself. Come on, give me a break. He was a teenager. You know, most scholars believe that, that at this point, David's about 10 to maybe 15 years old of the oldest. And so maybe Jesse would go, he's a teenager. Man, he's having mood swings. His voice is cracking, face filled with acne. You know, he doesn't ever take a bath. I mean, we, we can't hardly get him to take a bath. That's why we put him out with the sheep and the goats, because they don't care. He's the youngest. And Samuel the prophet declares, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. Verse 12, so Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. You're going, wow, I... I figured he would be ugly since all the other good-looking boys got passed over. That's not the point. God wasn't looking either for a beautiful person or an ugly person or a middle-of-the-road a, a middle handsome person. That wasn't even on God's list of qualifications. It wasn't on the criteria sheet about what it would mean to be the next king. God's not interested in appearances. So it's not that David must have been ugly. No, he was a good-looking kid. So if God didn't choose David based on how he looked, then what in the world qualified David? So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. 
Verse 13, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. This would be the next king. God chose him. Why would God remove his hand of blessing and favor from Saul and place it on this young teenage boy named David? Why? What is God looking for when he looks for someone to use? Real quickly, I'm going to read from Acts chapter 13. Fast forward on the timeline of history a thousand years from David into the future. Now you're in the first century Now Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, gone back to heaven. Now one of the greatest persecutors of Christians has become a Christian himself. His name was Paul. Paul is now a missionary trying to spread the very gospel that he tried to stamp out. He goes to a city called Antioch. And in Antioch, he reasons with his fellow Jews from the scriptures how Jesus is the Messiah we've been looking for. That Jesus is the promised descendant of David that God would send to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So in Acts chapter 13 verses 16 through 22, we read, So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful arm, he led them out of their slavery. He put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. This took about 450 years. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said... I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Can I tell you the answer to the question, what is God looking for when he looks for a person to use, is found in Acts 13, verse 22. God says, I have found David. I found him. Not Samuel, not even Jesse, his dad, because his dad didn't even invite him to the party. I have found him. And that tells me that God chooses the person we often overlook. God chooses to use the person we often overlook. Everybody counted David out, but God counted him in. Everybody else passed over David, but God stopped and said, This is the one, anoint him. And I want you to know, maybe you're a middle schooler this morning or a high schooler today and others may look down on you because of your youth, but God sees you and God wants to bless you and give your life meaning and purpose and use you in a mighty way. Don't worry about what the world says or what your friends say or even your family says. You know what God says about you. He loves you with an everlasting love. You may be a recovering addict and everybody else has counted you out, but God has a purpose for your life to take your mess and turn it into a message, to take the test you've just come through and turn it into your testimony to help somebody else along life's journey that's fighting that same battle. You may be a single 
stay-at-home mom and you wonder if anybody notices you or cares, but you are making a difference in your child's life as you live for God, he sees you, he notices you, he chooses you. You may have a past, you may have a prison record, but here's the good news. The Bible says where our sin abounds, God's grace there much more abounds. You can't out God's capacity to express his love to you, and he's not finished with you yet. Your past doesn't have to define you. And I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what other people think about you. God wants to use you in his kingdom work. And one of the first things I learned is he chooses people we often overlook. But notice what else we read in verse 22. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Do you hear that? A man after my own heart. God looks for the person who has the heart, not who simply looks the part. God doesn't look at your appearance. God's looking at your heart. And what does it mean to have a heart that is a heart after God's own heart? It doesn't mean you're perfect. We're going to discover David was not perfect. Get this image of Michelangelo's David carved out of marble out of your mind. David was a real man, flesh and blood and bone like me and you. And he made a lot of mistakes and he sinned. But he had a heart after God's own heart. That he wasn't just a heartthrob, but he was a good-looking guy evidently. But his heart throbbed for God. He wanted to live for God. He wanted God to be first in his life. And you may not have the pedigree or the skills or the background or the experiences or the education or the money other people have. But one thing you can have, you can cultivate a heart for God. And that leads us to the third point here. And that is, God says, I have found David, son of Jesse... A man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. That's what it means to have a heart after God's. It means God's looking for a person who will surrender his will to God's will. That I'm going to look, God says, for the person who surrenders their will to my will. Do you know how long it took from this point where David is anointed to where he finally was able to become the king in reality? 20 years. And what did David do during those 20 years? He obeyed God. He just did what God told him to do. And even after he became the king, David wanted to build a temple for God. But God says, no, you've got too much blood on your hands. You've been a man of war. I'm going to let your son Solomon build a temple for me. And David says, well, then what am I supposed to do? And God says, you get to raise the funds that your son will need to build my temple. And did David stomp his feet? And did David get mad at God after everything I've done for you? You ought to let me build your temple. No. David surrendered his will to God's will. And that is the blessing of David's life. And that's what it means to have a heart after God. It means you surrender your will to his. That's why Jesus taught us to pray Whenever you pray, pray like this, Jesus said. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about our will. It's not about our plans. It's about living for God. Dear friend, if you want to be used by God, 
All you need to do is have a heart for God. And that is something every one of us in this room can have. You can have a heart for God today. And if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, rededicate your heart to him. Not just to receive his forgiveness from your sin, but to dedicate your life to him as your king of all kings, your Lord of all lords. That God, I thank you that you didn't overlook me, but by grace you've chosen me. I I thank you that you're helping me have a heart like yours. I know I'm not perfect, but let my heart beat for what makes your heart beat. And God, I surrender my will to your will. Have your way in my life today. Have your will in my marriage. Have your will in my family, my career, my finances, my friendships, my church life. Have your will in my life. And God will use you to make a difference in this world and to give you a purpose you could never have dreamed of if you'll put him first in your life. Maybe today you don't believe in God. Too bad he believes in you. And this morning he wants you to receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior so that you can find true life, true meaning, true purpose. Next week, we're going to talk about David and Goliath from 1 Samuel chapter 17. So you may want to read ahead. And I think we're going to talk about it in a way that you've never heard before. So I hope you'll come back next week. But right now, I want to pray. This is the most important time of our whole morning. Let's just pray together. And let's respond like God would have us to respond. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you that by your grace, you choose us and you use us in your kingdom for your purposes, for your plans. God, I know that you right now want to take each person right now in this room and you want to fill their life with meaning and purpose. We may never be famous like David, but you have a plan for us. And it's a good plan to bless us and to bless others through us. So God, I pray if there's anyone that needs Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that right now they would receive him by faith, turning from their sin believing in the one who died for them on a cross and who rose from the dead, and then dedicating their life to him, to live for him, to learn more about him, to let Jesus have his will and way in their life. And God, for those of us who are already followers of Jesus, may we rededicate ourselves right now in the stillness of this moment to a heart that is committed to you, to a heart that beats for you, to a heart that puts you first. We know we're not going to be perfect, but God, help us to draw closer to you than ever before. Let us be people after your own heart. Let us be people who put you first. And let us leave this place today knowing that when the world counts us out, we need to remind ourselves based on your word, I have what it takes. I have what it takes. Because all a person needs to be used by God is to have a heart that trusts in God. And that we will do. In Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen.